Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. Who are you? And who are you becoming? And who is influencing you as you are becoming who you are becoming? A couple weeks ago, my daughter and I were at her school for parent-teacher interviews. Walking down the hall, I saw this quote on the wall. You know, there's often quotes in various places, including schools. And I saw this quote and it just stopped me in my tracks. It said, accept no one's definition of your life, define yourself. Hold on, what? I read it a couple times and I thought, that's quite a claim. And thinking about it later, I, I thought, well, I get why a school would have this on their wall. Because you hear people say, don't let anyone tell you what life is about or who you should be or what you should do. You do you. The quote hanging on the wall said it was from Robert Frost and I was curious and so I looked it up to find the context. I discovered there's a bit more to the quote. Never be bullied into silence. Never allow yourself to be made a victim. Accept no one's definition of your life. Define yourself. Robert Frost. Sounds almost true, doesn't it? I wondered, who was Robert Frost again? Well, according to many, he was the most beloved and highly honored American poet of the 20th century. You probably know part of his, one of his poems, and it goes like this. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. It reminded me of a, a birthday card that I gave to my friend, and fellow pastor, Pastor Michael, a couple weeks ago, I said this, he took the road less traveled and he brought a helmet and a tiny shopping cart and that made all the difference. People actually disagree about what Frost meant by his poem, by the two roads, and we like it and we share it anyways because we resonate with what it's saying. We face so many choices in life, right? And by the time we're 12, somewhere 12, 13, 14, 15, we want to start to own more of those, cho those choices ourselves. Who do I want to be? What road do I want to take? What path are my friends taking? And how can I find my own path? And this gets me thinking, can you really define yourself? Can you really define yourself? And are you smart enough to plot a path all the way to the end of your life? by yourself. We're in a series on knowing Jesus through the book of Philippians and last week, Pastor Keith, uh, he had us focused on the goal from chapter three, verses 12 to 14. And I was inspired and encouraged to look towards that goal, to keep on focused on that goal because Jesus had taken hold of Paul. Paul was taking hold of everything that Jesus had for him. He was on a path pointed toward Jesus and his eyes were focused on that goal of knowing him. Are you on the path that leads to life? And who's walking with you? Are you moving forward? And if you keep heading the direction you're headed, where is that going to take you? How did I get on this track again? Oh, right, I saw a quote on the wall of my daughter's school and it got me thinking, probably thinking about it more than I probably needed to. But here's the thing, Robert Frost didn't say those words. Define yourself, he didn't say that. It was Harvey Firestein. Now who's that? 
Firestein is a playwright, he's a screenwriter, he's an actor. If you ever saw the hilarious movie Mrs. Doubtfire, or if you ever heard, uh, saw the movie Mulan, you've seen his work, you've heard his voice. If you know of the, uh, the fairly award-winning uh, play called Hairspray, that's his work. And here's where it gets interesting. In his memoir, Firestein writes, back in 1992, I wrote and delivered a commencement speech at Bennington College. I had nothing prepared when I drove up there, but after lunching with some students, I slipped away for a nap and I wrote a speech on a scratch pad. That speech is mostly garbage, he says. But miraculously, a few quotes from it lived on to this day. I've even seen the final lines printed on a street sign, accept no one's definition of your life, but define yourself. He said, I've even, I've even seen it attributed to, Mar to Robert Frost. And so, here on the wall of an Edmonton school, for my daughter and hundreds of other kids and teens to see, is a quote taken out of context and attributed to the wrong guy. A quote used to inspire the formation of the identity of children and teens, taken from a speech that the writer said was mostly garbage. Now please hear me. I'm not against Har Harvey Firestein. I'm not against the school. I love our kids' school. I love those teachers. I respect and appreciate them, and I'm thankful for them. But here's the thing. It's so easy to grab a quote and share it, isn't it? We like the sound of it no matter what, who the original author was or what they meant, because it makes us feel good, and maybe it just aligns with what we already believe. But if we're actually going to mature, we're going to have to ask, well, are all things true? And do all beliefs lead to maturity in Jesus that we'd become more and more like him? So today we're going to engage with a few questions. How are we going to find our way forward as maturing people? Who are you going to listen to and who will you allow to guide you? And what kind of person are you going to become? We're going to see that while we, think, while we might think the maturity is a place we arrive at, true maturity is actually a process we engage in. We're going to expose a few lies that we hear that can get in the way of maturing, and we're going to be reminded what Jesus says to those lies. We're going to hear a story of an alien landing in a backyard, and we're going to learn, see how brain science teaches us why you will or will not believe that story. And we'll see how a couple, a couple of wetsuit-wearing runners could inspire us to engage in the process of maturing together. So here's our main idea. Maturing is not a maybe. Maturing is not a maybe. Better than the lies we hear and the easy routes we might prefer, Jesus calls us to engage the process of continual maturing by the Holy Spirit in community together with others. So what's the process? The process is looking to Jesus, listening to God, living like Jesus, and then learning from those who are also maturing. If you have your Bibles or you have your app, you can open to Philippians 3, verse 15, where he simply says, therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. What way, Paul? What way? Well, right before this, as we heard, he was talking about being on his way somewhere. He's being on his way to the goal, on the way, knowing Jesus, that Jesus had started something in him, Jesus had taken hold of him, and now he wanted to take hold of everything that Jesus had for him. So here's our first point of how we mature. 
pretty obvious. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. For Paul, it's all about Jesus. I think he would say, I'm on my way to eternity with Jesus, and Jesus isn't done with me until he's done with me. So let's keep moving further and further into maturity in Jesus. And so here's the full text. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. This is our path. So here's what this means. He's saying, I want you to move further and further into maturity because for Jesus, your maturity isn't a maybe. It's what he intends for you. So, well, what are we talking about? What does mature mean? Well, what it does not mean is thinking that you have arrived. No, Paul has repeatedly emphasized throughout this book that he has not arrived. Jesus started something in him and he's not reached that. He's not obtained what he's going to obtain. And so he presses forward because Jesus has taken a hold of him and he's willing to live a life of suffering. He's willing to live a life of power because he wants to know Christ and he wants Christ to be revealed more and more and more in him, through him. And this means that maturity is like, it's kind of like being an owner in your life with him. It means not being passive, but instead choosing, choosing to follow him. And taking hold of what he has for you because he's taken hold of you. Maturity also means surrendering more and more of who you are and how you live to his lead, to his example. Surrendering more and more and more of your life. Because he started something in you and he intends to make you more and more like himself. Maturity means engaging in a process, a process all for the rest of your life or until he returns. Maturity also means accepting whatever he has for you, whatever he has. Like we heard a couple of weeks ago, this life includes suffering and this life also includes his power expressed in us and his intent is that we would draw closer and closer to him. And maturity in Jesus also means being one in Jesus. It means being united in him and anchored in him. In another one of his letters Paul wrote in Ephesians, he said that God gave various gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ, listen to this, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity. Growing into maturity with a stature, a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So I think a life of maturing in Jesus can be summed up this way. Following Jesus, our humble leader, teacher, and guide, becoming more and more like him, our crucified and risen savior, and joining him in what he's doing, bringing his love and his grace and his mercy and his justice, his life to the world. Now, just because we're maturing doesn't mean we agree on everything, right? We know this. So he says, let all of you who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. The difference the Philippians had was more than just a difference of opinion about which sports team was the best sports team. It was a whole different way of seeing reality and it affected how they lived. 
And so in, re in response, Paul insists that true maturity always seeks to become more mature. Maturity isn't about a something that you have arrived at or about perfection. It's always relative and progressive. Friends, maturity is a process that we engage in. And so he says, let all of us who are mature think this way. Yeah, but somebody will say, who gets to say who's mature and who's not? Because, people say, we're all equal and we all have a right to our opinion. Somebody says, who is Paul to say this? He's just some guy. I don't know him and I see it differently and so do my friends. And we all have a right to our opinion. This is a lie dressed up as if it's true. And how it plays out is that anyone with a Twitter account or Facebook account feels they have the right to criticize everyone else or anyone else, even attack them, which is ironic. <laughs> a friend says that everyone has a right to their own opinion because everybody is equal, but then they bark at anyone who disagrees with them, which denies the very thing that they're standing for. And so what do we get from this way of believing and living? Well, we get divisiveness, we get ugly conflict, we get bitterness, we get cruelty. It's the path of selfishness. But listen, if Jesus is God, if Jesus is the king, and Jesus is the teacher and the leader overall, then it would be more than a good idea to find out what he says about who we really are and what he says about how he wants to remake us and how he wants us to live. Maturing people think this way. This is what Jesus says. I love you. You are all valuable to me. And yet, you've all chosen to go your own way. And so you're imperfect. And there are dark desires within you and you've done hurtful and harmful things to others. You've wanted things to go your own way instead of mine. And you have loved things more than me. The one who gave you all of those things. See, Jesus loves you entirely as you are, and yet he loves you too much to leave you as you are. And maturity means accepting this. Yeah, but, another friend might say, when Paul says, let all of us who are mature think this way, it kind of sounds like he says he's better than others. And that's not very nice and that's not very tolerant. Well, who says tolerant is the highest thing we should be? Canadians say that no one has the right to tell anyone else what they should or shouldn't be or shouldn't, or shouldn't do. <laughs> Which is, again, ironic. Because as soon as I say that, no one else has the right to tell someone else how they should or shouldn't be or shouldn't, shouldn't do. They're doing the very thing that they say no one should do. And what do we get from this way of believing? Well, we get isolation and hostility. We get immaturity and selfish delusion. And we get the division of marriages and families and communities. But Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And in the end, every knee is going to see and every, every tongue is going to agree that I am who I am. And so no matter who any of us, any of us, myself included, thinks we are, and no matter how right we think we are, Jesus is the one by whom all character and all behavior will be evaluated. And therefore, maturing in Jesus means letting our minds and our hearts be open again and again and again to his way of seeing things. 
but what he says about character and what he wants to form in us. And we let ourselves step into how he calls us to live. Yeah, but still somebody else will say, I just don't think I need to listen to this. This message from the Bible, I'll decide how I should think. And there are at least three reasons for this. The first is that for a couple hundred years now, modernism has taught us that every single generation has progressed beyond the previous one. We've accumulated more knowledge, and so we're better than the the previous generation. And so old books and old people are kind of irrelevant. So step aside, old man. The second reason for this is that people now believe that we can be and should be self-made people. It's that quote we heard at the beginning, right? Define yourself. It's very appealing in this age. And so people go looking for what I want and what I I think I need in order to be the best version of myself. And then we pick and choose what sounds right and helpful to us. So we might take this if we decide it's helpful. The third reason we resist this posture is someone saying that they know what maturing is and, and who is not is because your brain resists any message that doesn't agree with what your people believe. Let me explain that. As long as you're being shaped more by messages that do not come from Jesus than those that are, you won't follow the Bible's teaching. Your brain will resist it. Why? Well, because brain science has learned that your right brain filters out all messages that do not agree with what our community already believes which means that you become like those you admire. Which is great if those you admire are mature and maturing, but not great if they aren't. So, if Jesus is God and if Jesus is the king and the teacher, then it would be a great idea to open our minds and learn from him about who we are and how he would have us live. Let all who are mature think this way. Why do I go through these lies and cultural assumptions and then explain Jesus' teaching? Well, because this is a powerful way to undo their power. Explicitly name what we hear, the assumptions that are all around us, and say, well, what does Jesus say? So that we can think the same way as Jesus teaches. If we leave cultural assumptions unquestioned, unchallenged, the result will be a weak, impotent, irrelevant faith, unable to handle the real challenges of life. In short, we will remain immature. I think of friends and family who would have, would claim the name Christian, and yet they believed and lived pretty much the same as everyone else around them and anyone of any faith would. Their life was actually not centered on Jesus, and they acted as if all that mattered was that they would just be nice people and good neighbors. Even worse, if we don't challenge the statements and beliefs we hear, we can end up with a church that participates in evil. Let me explain what I mean. That's the exact opposite of maturity in Christ. How can I say that? Well, I think of the German church who approved of Hitler. I think of the three-self, so-called three-self church in China when I visited in the 1990s. The three-self church agreed to say only what the communist government would have them say. And I think of the church in Rwanda before the genocide. You know the genocide, right? 1994, between 500,000 and 660,000 people were killed. 
It was a horrific, intentional, and systematic scheme carried out by Hutu leaders to wipe out the Tutsis, people they called cockroaches. It was one of the darkest moments in recent history. And what happened in that East African country ought to challenge our confidence in the kind of Christianity that has been preferred in North America in recent years. Why? Let me explain. I've been rereading a book called Road Trip Rwanda by Canadian author Will Ferguson. It's a trip he takes with a Rwandan friend of his from Calgary, actually, and they go there, and he experiences the richness of that country and their people and their geography, but he also has an encounter 20 years later with the aftermath and the stories of the genocide. Through his research, he's learned that at the time of the genocide, Rwanda was 90% Christian. He also learned that Many high-ranking priests, bishops, and even nuns took part in the killings and the genocide. They encouraged the gangs, provided information, even picked up a club themselves when needed. Prominent Catholic, Anglican, and Seventh-day Adventist clergy have been implicated. It's horrible. Christian ethicist and philosopher David Pigashi came to a crushing conclusion. He said this, long study of the Holocaust, and now a fresh study of the Rwandan genocide has led me to the heartbroken realization that the presence of churches in a country guarantees exactly nothing. The self-identification of people with the Christian faith guarantees exactly nothing. All the clerical garb and regalia, all the structures of religious accountability guarantee exactly nothing. Now hear me. I'm not saying that I am sure that people born again by the Spirit of God with a maturing faith in Jesus were the architects or the initiators in the genocide. I'm not saying that. It's just that people who called themselves Christians failed to resist it. And many participated in it. Yes, there were many bright, hopeful examples of followers of Jesus who protected Tutsis, often at great sacrifice and cost to themselves but others participated in the slaughter simply because these other people just belonged to another social class. Now, before anybody should think that education and universities, secular, <laughs> secularism would make, bring, bring a different result, let me tell you that the situation was no different in the most educated region of Rwanda. In that district as well, Hutu university students and professors joined enthusiastically in the killing of their Tutsi colleagues and classmates, which, Ferguson observes, shows us that the presence of universities and the self-identification of people as scholars in the pursuit of knowledge and understanding guarantees exactly nothing. So who will be the people who will look to Jesus and mature in him? Listen, brothers and sisters, have no, I have no, let's have no illusions that I and we can demand of a secular government <laughs> the outcomes that only Jesus can make real. You don't get Jesus' kingdom coming through people who aren't designed to nor do submit to Jesus as king. That's not Jesus' plan, actually. Instead, Jesus' way showed that true renewal in kingdom culture begins at the level of one person repenting. One family turning towards Jesus as Lord. And every Jesus-centered community being called to walk in repentance and belief. Repentance and belief, walking in the ways of King Jesus. Then through relationships of love and respect and honor and value of every human being, 
We see his kingdom coming in us and among us and through us. This is so much more than just having a private belief and attending some religious things once in a while when it works for us. Who will be the people who will look to Jesus and continually mature in him? Jesus said, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to me, prove to be my disciples. He wants us to mature and to bear fruit. He wants us to love like he does because he is love. He wants us to be true because he is true. He wants us to be gracious because he is gracious. He wants us to make peace because he is our peace. And he wants you to want what he wants, to join him in what he's doing because this is who he's making you to be and who he wants to remake you to be. So are you in a path, on the path of maturity? Because for Jesus, maturing is not a maybe. But we hear this and we say, <laughs> we can be tempted to look for a shortcut, right? We hear this in this call to maturity and we say, could you make that easy for me? Or you might be tempted to think, well, <clears throat> I'm going to heaven anyway, so that's, that's enough, right? Question mark? Apparently Jesus intends more for you than some shortcut to paradise. He wants to mature you. And while it won't be easy, there is a path to follow. So what's the path to maturity? Well, we said first, right? Look to Jesus. First, look to Jesus. Second, listen to God. It's in the second half of verse 15. It says, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. We might think differently, but Paul says, if you listen to God, God will reveal a better understanding to you, a more like Jesus understanding. And how does he reveal it? Well, there are a few ways, but here are two. How to listen to God. First, by the Holy Spirit as we read the Bible. Can you go to the first one? Yeah, by the Holy Spirit as you read the Bible. And as you read, you can ask three questions. These are great questions to ask of all as you're reading any scripture. Who is God and what is he like? Who are we in Jesus? Sorry, and what has he done in Jesus and who are we in Jesus? And as we answer these questions, we're able to gain a fuller understanding of how God views reality and how God would have us live. And the second one is, we hear God through the influence of the Jesus-centered community that we belong to. Let's unpack that second one a bit more. Author and speaker Sam Chan tells a story to illustrate the power of community. He says, let me tell you a story. He says, last night my wife and I were kicking back watching TV and a UFO landed in our backyard. A little green man got out, in which everybody knows, well, aliens don't look like little green men. But anyways, he said a little green man got out and invited us into his UFO. And so my wife and I went inside and the UFO took us to Jupiter. We met the little green man's friends and family and we had a meal together. Afterward, we got back in the UFO and we traveled back to Earth and the amazing thing was we must have gone through a time portal because only one second of Earth time had passed. Do you believe me? The reason we do not, he explains, is because of something sociologists call plausibility structures. We all have plausibility structures almost hardwired hard into us and they determine whether we believe a story to be true or not. He explains, as I was telling you this UFO story, your plausibility structures were flashing red lights and setting off alarms, and you thought, that's unbelievable, right? So where do these structures come from? He says three sources. Community, 
experiences and facts, evidence, and data, and the most powerful of these is community. And so even if he could present facts or evidence that a UFO had landed in his, in his yard and he'd gone to Jupiter, even if he could present, prevent, uh, sorry, <clears throat> present evidence of that, and even if you'd had a, some experience that made you begin to believe that maybe, UF, like maybe aliens were real and they did come to Earth, the most powerful factor in you believing whether the story was true is the community you belong to. And so if your community doesn't believe that aliens come to Earth, if your community doesn't believe that, you won't believe it either. And long before brain science explained how this works, Jesus knew this. He knew that when you and I belong to a community where we experience God's kindness and his love, his grace, and we have a sense of who we are as a community living centered on him and we live true to him, when that is true, we're far more likely to learn from Jesus. It begins with this community we're part of. And so the path of maturing begins, we said, with looking to Jesus, listening to God, and then third, living it. Living it. In any case, Paul says, in verse 16, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. The NLT puts it this way, we must hold on to the progress we've already made. What have you come to believe so far about who God is and what he's done? You believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Live true to that. You believe that he died in your place for your sin, for your forgiveness. Live true to that. You believe that he's working in your life to make you more and more like him. Well then, hold on to that. There's graciousness in these words. Live up to what, what you have attained so far, Paul says. So be kind to yourself and be humble. Right? When I was... <clears throat> When I was 35, I couldn't hold myself accountable to live true to what I would know when I was 45, what I would understand. And so be gracious to yourself. You are not what you will be, but live true to what you gained so far. And still, call and challenge one another to continue to mature more and more. Which leads us to our fourth path, fourth step on the path to maturing. Learn from others who are also maturing. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, he says, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Join in and learn from others. Back at the beginning, I asked you if you're walking with anyone and who you're becoming as you do that. And we saw that we, we become like those we admire. So who do you admire? People say these days, I just, I just love that I'm around like-minded people. I, I want something more than that. I want to be around Jesus-minded people. Because this passage says to me that my mind and my character needs to continually mature even in ways that I don't currently understand. <laughs> so join in and pay careful attention to those who are also looking to follow Jesus and follow their example. So will you join in? It's not the shortest route. It's not the easiest route but it is the way that Jesus calls us into. In my first year as a follower of Jesus, I joined a group of adults who practiced community and we opened the Bible together and we shared our lives and we processed out loud what we thought it meant to us and we sought to try to apply it and we supported one another in that. I then moved to North Carolina and I began to gather with a church there and uh, I, I uh, began to um, 
would pay attention to the, the teachings of the lead pastor there named Stephen, and uh, we had some time together. I, I grew to admire him and respect him, and I admired him so much that I actually began to walk like him, which is kind of funny to think about now, but it reveals something that's true, right? We become like those we admire. And since then, there have been many that I've admired and some that I've imitated. There have been people like James and Kirsten and Carrie, and then I think of Phil and, and Jamie, and I think of uh, Rich and Monica and an elder man, Neil, and my mentor, Peter. And these days at Beulah, there are many whose lives I look to and whose, the pattern of their life continues to inform me as I say, what does maturity look like? What does living true to Jesus look like? And I follow their example. Who are you imitating? And what is about them that you're imitating? Paul said, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. So look to Jesus, listen for God, live true to what you've gained so far, and learn from others, imitating them as they imitate Jesus. But then we might wonder, well, how are you going to have the desire and the energy to join in, right? This joining and imitating and continuing to mature. Well, by the power of God working in you, the Holy Spirit already at work in you, and the example and encouragement of the community that you're with, that you're part of. Remember, Paul had said, God is at work in you to will and to work according to his good purpose. That was in chapter two. And so let him move in you, let him move in you and let the community you're part of encourage you. Maturing into Jesus' character and heart and way of living, well, it takes a lifetime, right? And it turns out that over the long haul, we can go farther when we team up. You may have heard of the world's toughest race. Maybe you've seen it on TV. It's a, in teams of four, the race is a multidisciplined sufferfest, endurofest, lasting as long as 11 days. Teams trek through jungles, they, they travel up streams, they, they climb cliffs, they rappel down them, again, down waterfalls, they paddle across ocean straits. And when you watch these incredible feats, it is so inspiring to see this reality of teammates encouraging one another, encouraging one another. It makes the feat that much more possible to just keep on moving toward the goal. We understand this, don't we? If we are going to be maturing people in Jesus, joining him in what he wants to do in and through us, we're going to need to join in with others who are also following him. Gordon MacDonald addresses this need for jo joining in and journeying together in his book, A Resilient Life. He writes, for all the admiration we have of the early generations of Christian movement, we mustn't forget that the quitter's gene was a reality in those days. The people to whom the New Testament book known as the letter, of Hebrew, letter to the Hebrews was written, they apparently struggled with the pressures of maintaining faith in a non-Christian world, much like ours. Families were separated, people were banned from long-standing social connections, and there was scattered physical persecution. And the price for declaring that you were aligning your life around Jesus was high, to say the least. And the result? Well, more than a few people went just so far, and then they quit. They dropped out of the race. Now, in our Western society, it would be trite to think that we face the same challenges as they do, as they did. But the issue of quitting takes on a different tone for us. We face the questions like, can I last? And can I grow? And I, can I continue to be valuable for Jesus' kingdom 
late in life? McDonald quotes Hebrews 12, which includes this line, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, considering him who endured such opposition so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. McDonald continues, he said, my sense is that the writer has a marathon-like race in mind, one that takes runners across the countryside on a course of roads and paths marked out for them. I suspect the writer is imagining a race of teams such as the cross-country races that I raced in in college. And this is where the best runners from each school would line up at the starting line and then they would take off behind the lead runner when the gun sounded. The cross-country team that I ran was, used what was called a 1-3-3 model. And the one was our lead runner, I'll call him John, he said, and then there were the threes, which were the two that were matched with him for their compatibility. In our own team cluster, we urged each other on and maintained together a racing strategy that our coach had set out for us. And he had walked the course and pointed out where we should accelerate past runners ahead of us. The New Testament writer of Hebrews seems to understand this way of racing and he, he poses Jesus as the one and the Christian community as the rest of the team of runners. Whose example are you following? And who are you becoming? Because maturing isn't a maybe. We began with a quote in a school hallway and of defining yourself and we've heard various claims that people make and we've seen this process of, of mature, continual maturity by the Spirit in community, looking to Jesus, listening for God, living true to what we've gained so far and learning from the Jesus community that's imitating him. Imagine what would happen if more and more people lived this way. Can you imagine the people who all look to Jesus, who created us all, who died for us all, who lives for us all, and who is the destination of us all? Can you imagine an extended family who are all looking to him and are united in him, roots going down deep, and that we are, we are leading one another as we imitate Jesus together? He's making us more and more like him, and we're joining him in what he's doing in the world. Friends, this is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. 20 years ago, Bill Hull, a respected pastor and disciple maker, quoted an African saying, maybe you've heard, he said, if you wanna, if you wanna go fast, go alone, but if you wanna go far, go together. Go together. Because the pathway to maturity is a long haul journey. So will you commit to continually maturing together? All over the world, people who undertake long road, long haul things understand this. If you want to go far, you need to go together. Let me finish with this. Experienced this again this summer at the end of a race called Swim Run. Yeah, we don't want to look at those too long because I might be embarrassed as you look at my super suit. The race uh, included six runs and five swims in our, in our river. And... Uh, a total of 17 kilometers of running and six kilometers of swimming. And in the race, uh, the race was an amazing day. It was such an adventure. I had so much fun. And I've never, never uh, experienced such a technically challenging, leg-hammering uh, run course before. And so near the end of the race, I was running with another friend, and we were going through this meadow, and uh, we were running together. And then two, others, two other ladies in, in their wetsuits, right? We, we swim and everything and run, run, swim and run and everything, uh, all afternoon and these two ladies came up behind us and my friend asked them hey do you want to pass us and they said no way absolutely no way we're barely holding on 
And it actually was an incredible experience to realize that we were able to sustain this pace because we were doing it together, encouraging one another as we sustain the pace together. The pathway to maturing in Jesus is a challenging path, and yet it's the most worthwhile path to be on. It's far more important than a running race. It's the highest aim you could have. And just like a running race with those nearby to encourage us, to show us how to do it, the pathway to maturity, or we're going to need others and to join in with them. So will you join in? I want to continue to mature. Do you? Yeah. So we've seen how we mature. Will you join in together? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for going before us. Thank you for starting, thank you for starting the kingdom of God through your death and your resurrection. Thank you for that beginning and thank you that we can look to you not only on the cross, but in your resurrection and that you reign today and you reign over it all and that together we can join in in this pathway to continue to mature and continue to bear more and more fruit for you and in you. So Jesus, we pray for one another right now. We pray for one another that we would join in in imitating those who are looking to you. For all for your glory, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening and thank you for giving. Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you.